right, right. You know, available. So perfect, perfect. Same thing with the U.S. We gotta kind of watch what you say. Um, okay, so I'll go ahead and start. Three, two, one. Welcome to the Haunted Hacker Podcast, episode number nineteen. This is the nineteenth week we've been going full force, and today we have Dr. Warren Eaton, retired colonel of the Israeli IDF. Um, welcome, guys. Uh, really excited to have you guys on. Um, this should be a, a really good episode. Our backgrounds are, are fairly similar, uh, coming from both DOD and intelligence spaces. Uh, and we both have probably a unique look at cybersecurity and geopolitical issues that, that motivate those, those cyber attacks and, and defenses. Um, so go ahead and uh, we'll go ahead and get started. Uh, Dr. Eaton, why don't you do a little introduction and uh, tell us about your background and, and what brought you into the commercial cybersecurity world. And once again, thanks for being on and it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. Uh, so uh, I'm Oren Eitan. Uh, I spent 25 years with the Israel Defense Forces. Uh, and as you said, uh, I was a colonel and my last position, I was the head of the cybersecurity unit of the IDF. Uh, uh, I'm myself uh, uh, in the academic level. I graduated my bachelor degree in electrical engineering from Tel Aviv University. And both my master and PhD, both in WE from the University of Texas at Arlington. So, um, and uh, <laughs> so, uh, um, uh, I got a lot of uh, cyber experience during my service, did a lot of things, uh, most of them in the uh, uh, protective cyber, cyber and cyber security. And, um, and uh, in the recent years, uh, I'm uh, the co-founder of Audix and the, the CEO of the company, which doing uh, a very interesting cybersecurity uh, solutions. Gotcha. That's, pre that's pretty awesome. So University of Texas, um, I lived there in, in Texas from the time I was 12 until I was 18. I actually finished school in Texas. So mm. I have a fondness for University of Texas and Arlington and Austin. Um, mm. So interesting. So being part of the cyber defense for the IDF, uh, can you tell us about how high speed that was? Because I know uh, doing cyber cyber defense for USGFCOM as a contractor when I got in the military was pretty intense. Um, we had Operation Titan Rain uh, that popped up um, that we had to fight against in the US. And then it was just a constant barrage of, of cyber attacks. And I'm sure Israel, the uh, same situation, you know, especially with the Iranians and, and other other forces around the, the, the world um, that want to bring harm. So tell me a little bit about how high speed it was and, and the difference between what you did then and what you do now. Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, we, we are in Israel, you know, we live 
kind of in a crazy neighborhood, but you know, there's in the cybersecurity, there's also no geographical limits or borders. So, you know, you, you sometimes you, you don't know where is the attack coming from and uh, it might be initiated anywhere in the globe. So uh, during the service, you know, it was very intense because uh, th this is the real life and the real cyber warfare uh, because the Israeli army is, uh, is uh, very well relied on technology and very high tech you know, uh, weapons and all kind of communications and and everything is digitized. And so on one hand, we are very advanced and, but on the other hand, it makes us vulnerable a little bit. So uh, the challenge is great because uh, if you look at, uh, for example, at the, at the regular borders, so you put, trying to put the fence all over the borders. So here, again, you need to cover all aspects of cybersecurity. You're trying to close all the vulnerabilities, all the gaps, all the potential uh, holes that might be in your, in your network. And this is challenging. And this is a challenging in a way that it's a day by day, you know, uh, work that uh, never ended. And, uh, uh, but, um, you know, personally, it's uh, very satisfactory as, as you know, you, 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 look, you look ahead and you said, okay, well, we were able to do this. And at the end of the day, you are also able to monitor and see your, your achievement because, you know, you see where, you were attacked and you know what hackers were and from all kinds of you know uh, were trying to do so um, uh, it's it's very challenging uh, it's it's very wide it's very wide it requires uh, a lot of skills because there's so many systems you know starting from IT and simple computers going all the way to communications, going all the way to uh, weapons of all kinds with communication links and so on. So um, very interesting. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, part of the key piece to the future when, when we look at you know cyber defense. It's, it's not just one set of systems, right? Um, we have satellites and, and the formation of the Space Force in the U.S. with, with their cyber, cyber capabilities, um, focusing on, you know, orbiting satellites and geostationary stuff, um, which is really interesting to me because the, the, the threat landscape has grown so much in the past 15 years. It's, it's almost unbelievable, um, I think it was uh, it, it was a very paramount statement when and, and I have to applaud Israel for it when Hezbollah was attacking Israel with you know a cyber attack and Hezbollah and uh, Is Israel said you know look that's an act of war and you know we're sending some some welcome gifts and bomb that that entire building down to rubble 
you know, I, I think that's the, that's the way we have to go. The, the U.S. Um, made a statement shortly before that, that any attack on the critical infrastructure through cyber means would be declared an act of war. And I think that's where we're at as a society, as, as a global society, is that everything we do is connected. Um, hospitals, uh, emergency rooms, operating rooms, governments, you know, infrastructure, it's all tied into the internet. Um, I have a, a mechanical device in my chest that keeps my heart beating. And with a cyber attack, that could be null and void. You know? So it, we've come to a point in civilization where we are, are at a precipice of a, of a new beginning, I think. And the connectedness and, and the amount of time it takes to communicate with someone completely across the globe um, is just absolutely amazing. So... Tell me about Odix and tell me about the cleansing of the files, um, the way that the company was started, the, the, the architecture, just everything Odix. I'm really interested to find out because one thing that, that got me um, when I was looking at the website and, and it's where the services that are run, um, the file sanitization. Uh, I had some questions about that, as well as the the, the C, uh, CD and USB and, and stuff like that, you know, like doing a, a check on that. So tell me how Odic started and just give me a rundown of, of services and, and, you know, what you guys do well and, and what you guys are, are engineering to do better. Um, and just really the solution set that you guys are providing for the current problem. All right. So. This can take us a few hours, so I'll try to squeeze everything. Let's do a parachute um, version. But the, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, but, well, when I started the Odix, um, it, it was after, you know, I uh, went out of the service and I had a lot of background and I saw, you know, all kinds of attacks and everything. And there was one very important thing that, that, that I realized that, you know, the hackers, what they need is they need a, a platform to carry and to insert the malware into the network. And it, it doesn't matter if it's against a military or against civilian or a bank or a critical infrastructure. They're always looking for a platform to embed the, the malware inside and the, the common platform and the, the straightforward platform is, is files. It was in the past, it's now, and I, I assess also that it will be in the future. And one of the things that really strengthened my thought is that all kinds of files become larger and larger and that it makes it easier to hide a small piece of malware code and malicious code inside these large files. So I say this, this is for 100% will remain a, a major uh, attack vector uh, uh, in, in the cyberspace. And then I said, okay, what do we have? We have kind of antiviruses, we have sandboxing at the time, but all of these were uh, uh, let's say responsive technologies. They're all signature-based technologies. They're, they were very easily being bypassed, uh, uh, evade, uh, evading the, the, the sandbox today is, is, is relatively uh, simple. And 
I thought of something that uh, really will make the difference, that actually will allow, uh, you know, look at the file in a different way and become with a, uh, a, a different paradigm that said, okay, let's look at the file as, uh, as it composed of many, many small components. Let's break the files to its smallest parts and then do deep analysis. Sometimes I like to call what we're doing deep file, deep file inspection and deep file analysis because this is exactly what we do. And then once we do that and we do this analysis and we inspect everything and make sure everything is in the right place, then we reconstruct the file again and make sure that only the good portions are within this file. <clears throat> and, and one of the great advantages of, of this approach is that we are completely agnostic for the malware type because you know, I don't care what I throw away. I, I know what I put together, the good things, and make sure these, these are working. And we start, you know, uh, looking at this, and we start, you know, the research and develop uh, prototypes, and then I start, move to the market. And at that time, it was, I think, four or five years ago, uh, the term, CDR, content disarm and reconstruction, the, the garden name wasn't there. So I, I had the issue, how, how would I call this process? And I said, okay, uh, uh, let's call it Audix. Uh, at that time, when uh, at the beginning, we, the, the company was ODI. And then I said, okay, the company is ODI. Let's call the process Audix. And then we rebrand the company as Audix. So, um, and we started, we see that there was a lot of traction uh, uh, and uh, we started with um, on-prem solutions. We started with, a, as you said, a kiosk to sanitize uh, removable medias like USB devices and all other medias. And, and then, uh, we also developed server-based solution for you know enterprises, so you are able to uh, uh, install our servers in the server farm of the organization and uh, in route all the incoming channels to our servers in order to sanitize these incoming files. So, for example, if you download files from the internet, uh, you uh, you route them to our server. We sanitize them very, very popular uh, use case right now is during the COVID-19 that, uh, you know, people work from home and a lot of organizations, you know, they don't have any uh, public uh, coming in and out. So they do everything through the website. So the website become a major uh, gateway and tool to upload files to the organization. Uh, for example, uh, Tel Aviv municipality, uh, Tel Aviv, I think is the, is one of the top 10 smartest cities in the world. So in Tel Aviv, they found out that so many files are uploaded to the website. So they took our solution 
So every file that uploads to the website, we first go to our server, we sanitize it. And just after we sanitize it, we let it into the organization. So you can see it as a gateway technology. We want to be before, you know, files entering into your uh, uh, network and sanitize them. And uh, so we develop this uh, all on-prem solutions and uh, uh, we have uh, many customers all over the world. Uh, in the United States, uh, a lot of utilities companies, electricity companies like Vistra Energy, Dominion Energy, uh, Curtis Wright, uh, GE and many others. So uh, uh, what we found that the the technology really is proven in the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got a lot of thank you letters from our customers that really we helped them. And we also then, uh, it's okay that I continue or? Yeah, go ahead, absolutely. <laughs> okay, I told you it may take some hours. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm trying to, <laughs> to, okay, but so, in, uh, in 2019, uh, I approached to the European Commission and uh, I told them, listen, uh, over 90% of the, the business transactions and the, and the businesses are, are run by small, medium businesses, SMBs. Now, these SMBs, you know, they're, they're not aware of of cybersecurity, they don't, you know, have any uh, cyber experts. Not not saying IT experts and so on. And moreover, I show them that over sixty percent of the SMBs that experience successful cyber attack went out of business within six months. Mm. This is incredible. So I told them this is a real issue here, and I have a solution because I already have a. Proven technology for enterprises, and I can do the transformation of this technology to SMBs. And the way to do that is is to do it that uh, provide it as a service because SMBs usually consume their you know IT services and cybersecurity services as a service. So I can do it uh, as a service. So by the way, they like the idea very much. And uh, we were awarded a grant of 2 million euro in order to develop. Wow. And then we, I look and said, okay, for SMBs and even for enterprises, you know, what is the major attack vector? Of course, it's the email. Right. And then I said, okay, uh, for the emails, the largest community of, of email users is the Microsoft 365. So we developed Firewall. So Firewall, uh, I love this name, uh, Firewall for Files. Mm-hmm. Firewall uh, is a native solution for Microsoft 365 to protect their email. Uh, and what I'm doing is that I'm, I have transformed the technology and make it uh, uh, accessible, affordable, for SMBs through the uh, Microsoft 365. So this was uh, a great move. And here we see a, a lot of traction from, you know, from Microsoft, right. from 
Microsoft partners, a lot of service providers want to uh, join with us. Uh, we already have a few agreements in place with the major distributors in the world and firewall will be the industry standard for file sanitation for business application. We started with the Office 365 because this is a major one. But then, of course, it will go for, you know, Google, uh, Salesforce, and other applications. So this is really, I try to squeeze everything. But... That's, that's great. So um, one of the questions I had about the, the firewall um, and, and not, not specifically just the firewall, but, but the entire operation. How does it handle... So when I create malicious payloads, right, I try to use some kind of evasion technique, whether it be wrapping you know, the, the code or uh, doing something like uh, using veil evasion um, or encryption. Um, how does it handle encrypted uh, files or even encrypted payloads within files? So uh, usually uh, we, we see a lot of uh, password protected files that are in fact encrypted. Mm -hmm. And for the on-prem solutions, we already utilize uh, a solution for uh, password protected files. In this case, we, we ask the, the user for the end user for the password. So we, we have, we pop up a menu for him. Okay, insert your, your password. Insert the password, we decrypt the file, we sanitize it, and then we encrypt it again and send it to him. Gotcha. The same way we are going to do also with firewall. In this, in this stage, we, we, we now are able to recognize it and we are able to do it. and. This is definitely a, a very important feature. Mm -hmm. uh, and one of our great advantages that we provide uh, a solution for password protected files. So, so with that being said, um, that, that model, have you run into any roadblocks or, or hurdles or, or difficulties when it comes to um, requesting that type of, of information, whether it be like a password or a PGP key or, or something of that nature to decrypt a, a file. Are there a lot of customers that, that give up that information or are there some who are very like um, strong in their stance about not providing uh, passwords? Well, I think that the, the customer feel that this is part of the business process. I mean, in any way, they need to provide their password and uh, in order to open the file. So uh, we feel that they, they think that, uh, you know, it's, this is part of the process. This is for the, their own security. And at the end of the day, I, I want to get to a point that, you know, uh, uh, we have, uh, in the emails that uh, have uh, passed through our sanitizer, we have a, a banner with a, a green V that I would like this to be, you know, the, the industry standard. So everyone will look for this green V and say, okay, now I'm safe. I can open this file. Right. So this is, this is very important. And uh, I, I think people will look for this confidence because today the, they're, they are confused. They don't know, you know, which file to open, which file is a phishing, which file 
you know, you're, you are not allowed. And we provide a level of confidence for the customers. So they will be able, okay, I see the, the green VR. I'm, I'm okay. I can open it. Yeah. It's, so that, that's, I've, I've looked at other platforms. Um, I worked in oil and gas for a while um, as a SOC director and reviewed some of the technology that, that people were bringing into corporate environments as far as, uh, you know, inspecting email or uh, file inspection and stuff like that. Um, and I have to say that, that most of the platforms that I've seen so far um, have been just shy of effective uh, because of the fact that the files that um, those platforms are looking at are hard to identify. Um, the hashes are hard, hard to identify because a lot of those companies still work off of the the hash algorithm, right? To to compare hashes to make sure it's a, a genuine, mm-hmm. non manipulated uh, file. Uh, so I think that you guys are way ahead of that. So the industry as a whole, I think, is is kind of behind you guys looking at, at what you're doing because so far what they've done has not been effective. Um, especially in, in user space here in the U.S. Um, privacy is a big deal. And, and I know that anytime I would ask for uh, either a password or a PGP key to unlock a file that I found floating through our Ethernet, um, there's always pushback. And that's why it's a question because, you know, here privacy is like unreal. But those same people who are very staunch privacy advocates go home and load games on their phones from the play store and get infected 24 <laughs> seven. So, you know, it, it's the, the whole pick and choose where you want to be uh, stringent and, you know, a privacy advocate. Um, so last week, office 365, I believe was a uh, compromised. Um, there was something like 20,000 emails that were 20,000 email addresses that were compromised um, because of the whole, solar winds issue and and you know have you guys seen a, a huge uptick in you know your work and, and opportunities because of solar winds yeah uh, uh definitely uh we feel that you know with solar winds uh the microsoft 365 was you know kind of a uh, only a platform or, yeah. or a channel, but the 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 SolarWinds event itself was on an on-prem product and on-prem uh, software updates that were distributing uh, maybe through the Office 365. So mm-hmm. uh, I think it raised a lot of questions, a lot of issues. I think it uh, we see that people. Uh, you know, see that it's, it's, you know, every time, you know, uh, people think, well, it happens there, it's not for me, it won't happen to me, and then so on. But I think that the, uh, as more and more cases happens, and they see here with the solar winds attack that it was very sophisticated, I should say, and uh, very clever, and they were able to uh, to do uh, substantial damage. So, I I think this is a, a, a kind of let's say similarity to Stuxnet at that time for the uh, for 
the ICS for industrial control systems and for you know SCADA systems and so on. But here, for you know IT uh, and government and other entities, this is a, a really I think a very compelling event. Uh, and I think uh, first of all, you know cyber uh, security experts are going to quote and they're going to give this example for many years to come. Uh, I think um, we can learn a lot uh, from what happened there. Uh, you know, even though when you look at the component, you know, each component by itself, you know, we are we are aware, we know, but you know, once it's been executed in real life and so successfully then you need to you know start thinking about it maybe a little bit differently and i think we we provide with our solution also for for software updates and for any any files files upload and so on we provide a very good solution for that um and uh yeah we feel uh, a lot of uh, traction in the market for, for our product. Yeah, when I was reviewing um, the SolarWinds attack and looking at the uh, company architecture of Odix and the services you guys offer, it really seemed to me that if a lot of these companies had Odix, that SolarWinds wouldn't have been an issue um, because it all came down to that uh, open source update file um, that people downloaded and, and installed. Uh, I did some work with APT28 as a confidential informant uh, back in 2016. And I can tell you that APT28 is very methodical um, and, and they take their time and, and they look at functions and they look at the whole operational chain, not just uh, the supply chain or not just the, the corporate entity. They look at the entire structure and, and flow. Um, and I think that's why it was so effective. Now, you mentioned Stuxnet, and, and I had to, had to smile because that was going to be my next question. Um, looking back at Stuxnet, which, which I thought was absolutely amazing, um, I've actually modeled one of my red team attacks after the Stuxnet compromise um, with the USB and, and whatnot. So... Your thoughts on Stuxnet as well as Odix, Odix versus Stuxnet. Do you think it would have stopped stopped the uh, the meltdown? Um, also, your your take on Stuxnet, and do you think it's going to happen again? Well, uh, I think that uh, Stuxnet, in this way or another, will happen again because. Uh, Cyber is is the new frontier. Is uh, you know you, you look at in the military, uh, not only in Israel, in the U.S. and other, uh, the cyber uh, become uh, a force or a command or you know a frontier like you have the the, the, the ground, navy and air force and cyber, so. It becomes a, a major uh, part and plays a major role in, in, in military and also in the defense and also in the civilian. 
because when you're talking about critical infrastructure and when you look at back uh, when the Russian invade to Georgia, the, the first shot was a cyber attack. I saw. And uh, this was a prelim preliminary move that they did before they moved the tanks into the city. So, I mean, it become, I'm not saying, uh, you know, there's a lot of, you know, doctrines of, and, uh, but cyber become a major part of it. Therefore, I think that everyone realized that you can achieve uh, a lot of, you know, achievements and you can, have a substantial gain by, you know, utilizing a, a cyber attack or by having a, a first cyber, cyber, uh, uh, let's say attack or, or hack mm -hmm. prior to a conventional uh, move. Mm -hmm. So, and I also see it because we also, in Israel, uh, they, they were trying to to do some uh, cyber attack on our, our water, uh, one of the water uh, uh, plant. It was unsuccessful, but they were trying. Also in the United States, there was uh, uh, successful. Uh, yeah, even though they terminated it uh, in time, but you see, you see the the, the attitude. You see where. Uh, were hackers, uh, it can be, it's it's not a single hacker that no. wake up at eight o'clock in the morning and said, okay, I'm going to poison the water in uh, Tennessee. It's not like that, but it's the, uh, it's more, uh, uh, let's say, leaded by countries, by states, by a lot of very, uh, professional people that that on one hand know the vulnerabilities of the other side and on the other hand know the, the potential damage that they can cause with this cyber attack so definitely I see that other attempts of uh, in the future as well yeah, absolutely. I think as, as a nation, we've been focused on taking out critical infrastructure in the time of war as a preemptive strike um, for a very long time. Uh, you know, the first thing we went after in the military was critical services uh, to kind of render the troops kind of useless. Um, you know, and, and when you look at the clandestine services in the U.S., when you look at the CIA and NSA, um, and some of the tools that they use that have been accidentally leaked to the internet are pretty effective tools. Um, so a lot of hackers don't have to look very far. Uh, the government tends to build these tools quite often, and, and somehow they always end up landing on the internet. Um, Eternal Blue and, and Weeping Angel and, and things like that are really effective tools. Um, but you're right. The, the, some of those foreign countries, especially North Korea, China, Russia, all have um, nation state groups that, that the military that, you know, the government bring in these, these really talented hackers or produce them themselves and make them kind of a digital army. Uh, and I think the, the formation of the U S cyber teams was 
in reaction to that type of uh, military structure, because before that, we didn't have that type of structure. Um, we did electronic warfare, but that was about it. Um, now we have UAVs, unmanned destroyers that are cruising the, the oceans and, and UAVs up in the air. So, I mean, we're getting to a point where I think the human piece of it, the human element, while it's still going to be important, I think is going to be less relied upon strictly because it's hard for a country to gain approval for a war or for, you know, any kind of invasion uh, when you're losing mass amounts of people during a conflict. And I think the the natural progression to UAV is, is where we're at, which is going to open a lot of doors for, for cyber attacks. Um, so the next portion of the, of the podcast that, that I like to do with, with uh, guests um, is I play a little game and I mention a word and you give me the first thought that comes to mind when I mention that word. I actually stole this game from a friend of mine, Colin Hardy, who interviewed me for InfoSec Real for his podcast. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was really, really intuitive. Um, kind of gives, gives some insight into the way people think. Um, so I'll, just, I'll, I'll throw out a couple words and, and you give me a brief, brief answer of what comes to mind when, when you hear that word. Um, Stuxnet. Lethal. Very good. Um, uh, let's see. Um, satellite IP. Well, <laughs> yeah. this um, is a tough one. Let's how about the sa- next one? How about satellite security? Satellite security. Satellite security. Yeah. Cybersecurity um, on the back of a satellite. Uh, doable. Doable. Pre- well, probably far off in the future, but but definitely doable, I think. Yeah. Um, Let's see. We'll ask one more. Uh, make it a good one. Um, U.S. Israeli cyber teams. Allies. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I think the looking at the, at Israel has always been one of the most impressive uh, defense organizations that that I've read about and that mm-hmm. I've studied up on. I did a lot of work. Uh, with USJFCOM on the East Coast, and we had Israelis that, that came over and trained. And, mm-hmm. um, really impressive. It's just the, the 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 amount of discipline that, that goes into some of the units in Israel is just amazing. Here we don't have the mandatory uh, military enlistment after high school, which I think yeah. is a disaster. I think that should happen. And I, mm-hmm. I think that as far as our presidency goes, um, if the president hasn't served at least four years in the military, I don't think they should be allowed to run for president uh, because I think what our country needs is, is someone like Winston Churchill or somebody uh, that has a strong military background that's not afraid to make tough decisions. Um, and right now, uh, the U.S. really lacks that, I think. Um, 
but hopefully we'll get there someday. Uh, but Israel seems to be a, a driving force in the Middle East. And yeah, I just, I, I give you guys the most respect because you, you, you're surrounded by people who don't want you to exist, but yet you're the strongest power in that area, which is really, really impressive. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, maybe we can do it again sometime really soon. Um, I know that the time zones are, are very difficult um, as we live completely separate sides <laughs> of the world. Uh, I apologize for that. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll get it together. And, and I really appreciate if, if you have any questions for me, go ahead and shoot um, any questions about the community, the haunted hacker community, feel free to ask. Um, you have any questions for me before we sign off? No, just I would like to thank you very much for the opportunity. It was my pleasure as well to speak, you know, uh, the same level and uh, profession that uh, I like. So uh, thank you very much. Absolutely. And I'm sure we'll speak in the future again. Absolutely. And you're welcome anytime on the podcast. It's every Saturday. Uh, we have a Discord server. If you have employees that, that want to share free information and gain knowledge, you know, we're, we're here. So uh, have a good day, and and I hope I didn't keep you up too late. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, man. Bye.